our Pastor Adam is uh, away at his next congregation in Colorado preaching this morning at the same time. So please lift him up in prayer uh, as well, too, as God sent him to our church in a, a really important uh, time. He's now going to send Pastor Adam to another church uh, for a very important time for those believers in that place. So keep him in prayer. Uh, for that, as well as their travels, his travels that he's doing, he's driving this whole thing. We're going to turn to our time in the Word this morning, and I invite you to uh, grab your Bible and open up to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 in the New Testament. Uh, if you're using an electronic device, that's great. Just have something in front of you, your phone, your tablet, your Bible. We want to have the Word in front of us and open. Uh, to us this morning, Acts chapter 8. If you're not familiar with Holy Scripture, there is um, a Bible in the chair uh, rack under your seat or in front of you. Grab that, would you? And uh, turn to page 1705, Acts chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 26 this morning. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 8 at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, 
And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Heavenly Father, you have given us this precious word before us this morning, and we ask that you'd give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might see your son Jesus in all his glory. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. We are standing in a very unique time in the history of Washera Community Church. All of us should consider it a great privilege and a great grace to be a part of God's ongoing work in this place. We are, friends, quite literally a bridge from what has been to what will be. The work of our interim pastor, Adam Wolfgang, is winding down, and the work of our next pastor, Stephen Boyer, within a brief month will begin. And this brief period of time for us, I hope, is filled with great anticipation and hope for what God will do with Washera Community Church in the next chapter of its history. This time might also be filled with a few honest questions. What will Stephen be like as our next teaching pastor? Will he produce fill-in-the-blank outlines in the bulletin? Will he sing during his sermons? Will he give engaging children's messages? What will change when Stephen comes? And what will stay the same? Will people who have left the church in the last couple years come back to worship? What new ministries will begin? And which ones will end? Will we grow to the point of adding additional worship services again? Will we plant new churches and send out new missionaries? I believe this brief period of time has all the anticipation and hope that the founding members of this church had 34 years ago. 
But there's one significant difference between where we are standing today and where the founding members of this church stood 34 years ago. We have the distinct advantage of looking back at 34 years of God's faithfulness in this place. It was a Baptist minister during the civil rights era named Ralph Abernathy who said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. It was the Apostle Paul who said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It was Jesus himself who said to his apostles in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church. So I invite you this morning to consider the scripture that we've read before us in light of a new pastor coming to our church and for all of us to earnestly trust God as God writes our next chapter. Acts chapter 8 is a micro picture of how God has designed the church to be, and how God has designed Washera Community Church to work. In this scripture, we will see how God initiates the plan of salvation, how God dispatches divine power for salvation to occur, how God calls human agents to share the gospel with the unsaved, how God applies the good news of Jesus to those who are unsaved, and how those once lost respond in faith to Jesus. So let's look together this morning at the opening verses and think of the theme of the providence of God in verses 26 and 27. If we didn't know any better, we might curiously look at the text that we have before us this morning and think that it is an illustration of the coincidental. It just so happens that an angel speaks to Philip, and it just so happens that Philip actually listens and obeys. It just so happens that Philip is sent on a dusty desert road leading to Gaza. And it just so happens that on that road, he met of all people an Ethiopian eunuch. It just so happens that the eunuch had been worshiping in the temple that day. And it just so happens that he was heading home on the same road. It just so happens that the eunuch was reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. 
And it just so happens that the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip, telling him to stay near a certain moving chariot. And it just so happens that Philip listened to the voice of the Spirit, identified the correct moving chariot, and sprinted up to it. How coincidental! Friends, far from being coincidental, Luke wants us to understand this morning the unseen, providential hand of God moving events and people to accomplish his holy purpose in the salvation of the lost. Now, from a human perspective, or from our vantage point this morning, we think that there were any number of things that could have derailed the providence of God that day. Philip could have dismissed the directions and the promptings of both the angel and the spirit as just some kind of noise in his head. He could have questioned the safety of traveling alone on a desert road. He could have been concerned about the correct protocol of approaching a royal government caravan. He could have thought that there would be somebody more suitable or qualified to witness to this man's race and class. Now, the eunuch, on the other hand, he could have stayed an extra day in Jerusalem sightseeing. Or he could have been fast asleep in his chariot. He could have told his royal attendants to keep all other travelers at a distance. He could have been reading the Jerusalem Times or Ethiopia's Wall Street Journal. But the fact is that none of these things did happen without even saying so. Luke narrates this encounter between these two strangers in such a way that we, the readers, would marvel at the providential hand of God. Now, we like to think of ourselves as autonomous and free creatures, but our freedom and our personal control of things is always secondary to the providence of Christ, who in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, sustains all things by his powerful word. And Christ, who in Ephesians 1, verse 11, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, the reason that Philip didn't derail the providential work of God that day was because he was being tag-teamed by two authoritative voices. An angel of the Lord in verse 26, and the Holy Spirit in verse 29. And whether Philip audibly or internally heard these voices doesn't really matter to us at this point. What does matter is that God was on a saving mission 
and he had fixed his eyes on a solitary international traveler. And to accomplish this saving mission, God first dispatched from his throne an angel of the Lord, whose purpose in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 is to serve those who will inherit salvation. And secondly, God sent the Holy Spirit of Pentecost fame, the third person of the Trinity, who's responsible for turning hearts of stone into being hearts that are filled with faith and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But these two agents of supernatural power will not in this instance work immediately or unassisted. No, they will work immediately through one of the church's first deacons named Philip, later in the book of Acts called the Evangelist, a man who was yielded wholly to Scripture and to the voice of God. And so he was readily available for the work of God. Philip heard both voices of divine authority and without question immediately responded. Now, let's take a look at the other person in our text this morning who is somehow, some way, hearing the voice of God and obeying that voice, even though the precise purpose of God in speaking to him may not have been known to him at all with any amount of clarity. It's the eunuch. A man without a personal name in this text. Who is also without certain anatomical parts. He's a black man from Ethiopia who appeared by God's design and God's plan ever so briefly in the text of Acts chapter 8 before us this morning and then disappeared from the pages of biblical history. We are told in verse 27 that he was the head of the treasury for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, a position of extreme importance and respect similar to our United States Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen. Yet for all the privileges and benefits and personal wealth that came along with him serving in this high office, he was acutely missing something that the gods and the religion of Ethiopia did not provide. So he somehow secured a leave from his responsibilities in Ethiopia, entrusting the economy of the country into the hands of his staff and a second-string quarterback, and he embarked on a 12 to 1,500-mile each-way journey from the capital of Ethiopia to Israel's capital, Jerusalem. 
it's a good guess that he's traveling with a royal caravan of donkeys and camels at maybe 20 miles a day. This chariot caravan loaded down with all the food and water they would need for this journey to cross the desert would arrive in Jerusalem some two or more months later. And all this for the ever so briefly stated purpose at the end of verse 27 to worship the God of Israel. Now, why in all the world would he go through all of that to worship the God of Israel? You will remember that Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And along with the magnetism of Christ's cross, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But in this instance, God lovingly drew the ends of the earth to Jerusalem. We don't know how this man heard of the God of Israel. We don't know how he managed to explain to the queen why he needed a leave of absence for a third of a year in order to worship the God of Israel. But that is what he went to do. We don't know in what parts of the temple worship the eunuch participated, but it's a reasonable guess that he could go no further than the court of the Gentiles. But it was not his engagement with God in the temple worship that mattered. Because Luke's recording of this event has the man enter the temple at the end of verse 27 and exit Jerusalem at the beginning of verse 28. So we wonder if the eunuch left the temple and the Jewish capital despondent and discouraged as the religion of his own home country in Ethiopia, as the formalism of the Jewish faith at the time, failing to find what he was looking for. So it wasn't in this instance the worship in the temple that changed his life, but his return trip that changed his eternity. Now, we're going to look at the scripture of God, the central section of our text this morning in verses 28 to 35. And as Luke continues the narrative of the eunuch, he tells us that the eunuch's royal caravan was heading south from Jerusalem in the direction of his own home country. And Luke is careful to tell us that the eunuch was sitting, which means that the eunuch and his driver are not in a Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur style chariot, 
the kind with two wheels joined by an axle on which there's half of a barrel on it which is open to the back? No, the eunuch is sitting on some kind of couch or some kind of cushion which tells us that he's either in some kind of a royal coach with four wheels or he actually could be in, for lack of better terms, a royal box in which there's a cushion or a couch and this box would have had two poles underneath it on either side that was carried by four men. Imagine that kind of round trip journey from Ethiopia. And more interesting than the means of transportation was that the eunuch was reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now, how did he get a copy of sacred scripture? And how many of us are turning back to sacred scripture after the service is over and we're returning home? There were no printing presses or copy machines or kinkos in the first century. Copies of scripture were painstakingly made by Jewish scribes one letter at a time and were not available to the general public. But the eunuch got one. And don't you want to know if he used his own personal resources or taxpayer dollars to buy this scroll? As verse 30 opens, Philip runs up to the exact chariot that the Spirit of God pointed out, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So the eunuch is a royal man, he's a high official, and now we learn that he is well educated in the biblical languages, and he's reading sacred scripture out loud. But where he got the scroll, and how he paid for the scroll, is not as important as the words he was reading from the scroll. And it just so happens that from the time he began reading the scroll until the time that he was intersected by Philip on the desert road, he had read the scroll up to what we know of as chapter 53, which prophesies salvation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the sin of the world as the suffering servant. What a divine coincidence. So Philip asked the eunuch, Do you understand what you're reading? Not much for small talk, was he? No, shalom. No, how are you? Are you enjoying the nice Mediterranean weather? And what brings a guy like you around to a place like this? Nope. Do you understand what you are reading? And that diagnostic question earned him a seat in the chariot of the eunuch. Go figure. Now in verses 32 and 33, Luke tells us the exact verses that the eunuch was reading 
And this is the important part for you to look at your text at verses 32 and 33. So if you've got your phone or tablet or your Bible in front of you, look physically at the text and the verses from Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8 that are quoted uh, for us by Luke here in Acts 8, verse 32 and 33. So these two uh, verses of Scripture, in these two verses, each of the two, verse 32 and 33, has three lines of text. And in each verse, line one and line two are parallel thoughts, and line three draws a conclusion. This is Hebrew poetry at its best brought here into the New Testament for us. So as you're looking at verse 32, the eunuch knows that somebody was killed, and that somebody did not voice any opposition to the brutal killing. And in verse 33, as you're looking at that verse, the eunuch learned that the person killed was put to death wrongly, which effectively ended this person's family tree. Now, these are not the most well-known or quoted verses of Isaiah 53. And I've always wondered why the Holy Spirit did not have the eunuch stop reading at Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Or Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Or Isaiah 53, verse 6, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. No, the Spirit had the eunuch stop reading at verse 8 of Isaiah 53, which is verse 33 that you're looking at in your text. Maybe because the eunuch in being a eunuch, saw himself as humiliated and deprived of justice, a man who would never have descendants, whose family tree had literally been cut off. And even though the eunuch might have seen himself ever so briefly in the reading of Isaiah 53, he had to ask Philip, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. We know from Jesus' words to the Emmaus disciples that Jesus is the center of all Scripture, both Old and New Testaments alike. So here, Philip clearly identifies that Jesus fulfilled the suffering servant prophecy of Isaiah 53, that it was Jesus 
the holy and perfect Son of God who left his home in heaven to become one with us, the eternal invaded the temporal. It was Jesus who came to seek and to save lost sinners. It was Jesus who was unjustly crucified, and yet that was the Father's plan that the sin of the world would be transferred onto Christ while he was suffering on the cross, and that Jesus would pay the just penalty for our sin. And three days later, it was Jesus who rose from the dead to demonstrate that he is Lord over sin and death, and declaring by his resurrection that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news. And the third section we look at ever so briefly in our text this morning, the response to Jesus. At some point, while Philip was sharing the good news of Jesus, the Holy Spirit supernaturally opened the eunuch's eyes and heart to his need of Jesus, and the eunuch placed trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, becoming a member of a new country and having his passport stamped with a new stamp, the kingdom of God. And Luke leaves us to assume that Philip had spoken with the eunuch about the importance of a believer's next step after salvation in identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, in water baptism. And so it just so happened that at the exact place and time where Philip and the eunuch were, sure enough, there's a pool of water that shows up on a desert road. And without hesitancy, in front of the royal chariot and the attendants who were there, the eunuch went down into the water and came up out of the water as a new disciple of Jesus Christ. And it just so happened that as quickly as Philip and the eunuch met, so they departed. Philip was miraculously moved to preach Christ in a neighboring town. And the eunuch returned home, a converted man, carrying the life-saving message of Jesus to the continent of Africa. Now with a couple of that I have left here this morning, I do want to share three specific applications uh, with us uh, based from this text in view of a new pastor being sent to our church. Here's my first application. As God sent Philip, so God has faithfully sent pastors to this church. Within a month, God will be sending Stephen Boyer to be our next teaching pastor. And we know that our search committee and our elders did a thorough job of vetting Stephen. Everything humanly possible was done to ensure that Stephen would be a good and right and doctrinal fit for Washera Community Church. And over a two-Sunday span, the voting members of WCC cast their ballots and soundly approved Stephen. 
But now, friends, is the time to shift our sights away from the human aspect of this process and to set our confidence and hope for WCC on God's choice of a teaching pastor. Throughout our human process, God was silently opening and closing doors for both our search committee and our elders. And it was God who chose Stephen Boyer. Now, how do I know this? Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So it is incumbent upon us as a church family to receive Stephen as God's choice sent specifically to us for the next chapter of our history. My second application is this. God is still connecting spirit-filled believers to those who need Jesus. Far from being an isolated coincidence, friends, the encounter of Philip and the eunuch is the paradigm of what we as a church are called to be. The question is, are we listening for the Spirit's directions? And are we trusting God to intersect our lives with lost people? And are we willing to place our personal pursuits secondary to God's salvation purposes? It is the Spirit's ongoing ministry since Pentecost to prompt us or to lead us to someone who needs Jesus or to place someone's name on our heart who needs prayer or some kind of service. Let's not forget that the context of the eunuch's conversion was not in church, but was on a dusty desert road apart from church. And while God may save people in the hour of worship, and I believe he does, God also created 167 more hours during the week in which proportionately God is more apt to change people's eternity through everyday normal circumstances of life. Spirit-filled people are attentive to the voice of God and are ready to be sent. And when we hear God's voice and humbly obey it, we are immediately engaged in the unseen providential work of God in eternal matters. Let's not settle for lesser worldly pursuits. 
And my final application is this. The core teaching of Scripture is the gospel. And the central person of all Scripture is Jesus. Friends, the strength and vitality and health and growth of WCC for the next 34 years is not based on the paint in the foyer or the comfort of our seats or the convenience of our online platform or the programs that we offer or even how nice we are as people but on how intentional we are in sharing the good news of Jesus. Sin is our universal problem. Satan is the enemy of our souls and of this church. And hell is the consequence for humanity that has fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus is our solution, and our only salvation. The eternal plan of God decreed that at the cross, the great exchange would take place, that there Jesus would take upon himself the sin of the world, my sin and your sin. And at the cross, he would offer his perfect righteousness to the world as a free gift. The message of freedom from sin and freedom from Satan and freedom from hell because of Jesus is why we exist. And there are countless people locally and nationally and internationally driving around in their chariots oblivious to who Jesus is and why he should even matter. I trust that Stephen Boyer will be a champion of the gospel in this place and pulpit. The question is, will we? The proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is our personal commission. And as we make Jesus the driving purpose of our lives, the next chapter of WCC's history, it'll be an exciting one. Let's engage energetically in that commission and watch as God writes our next chapter. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Washera Community Church because it's your church. You're the one who planted it 34 years ago. And here we are standing today, God, to honor and praise you for doing what you designed to do so many years ago. Father, find us to be a humble people this day who are trusting in you for what you will do now in the next days and weeks and months and years from this point. We thank you for all of the dear and blessed people who have come through this place. We thank you, God, for the faithful pastors who have served in this place over the years. God, we're thankful that you chose Stephen Boyer for us and that you're sending him to us, God. 
for all of the things you know will occur in the next season of our history. We commit ourselves to you for the ministry of the gospel. So empower us, O oh God, to that end. And use us, God, for your holy purposes. We pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.